Hey, so check this out. Our friend Scott Kettner has a new website. It's called worlddrumlessons.com. And for our listeners, because you're so special, he is offering a special coupon for one month free lessons in either Madaka 2 or Pandeiru or both. Hey, why don't you do both since it's free? So if you head on over to thebrazilianbeat.com, you'll find some coupons for these online classes. And if you are not familiar with Scott, he is an amazing educator and musician, and he knows his shit. Excuse my French. If you go to the website and you um, log on, you'll find all kinds of videos, PDFs, just so much information about these two genres. And he's going to be having more videos and information on different topics. But for now, why don't you take these two free classes that he's offering? I've done the some of the Madaka 2 work on here. I can't do all of it because there's so much. I, I, I'm working on it, okay? So, um, I play Abe. If I want to go work on my Kaisha chops or on different techniques or different styles of the different Madaka 2s in Hesifi, I can go check out these references on worlddrumlessons.com. So, take advantage. Go to the Brazilian Beat, get that coupon, sign up for worlddrumlessons.com for this free trial, and who knows, you'll probably sign up forever because you like it so much. So take advantage. Worlddrumlessons.com, go there. All the music that you hear on today's podcast, all the background music, is from some of Neil's projects there in Arcata. Brazilian Beat, where we are getting to know the Brazilian percussion and music-making community one interview at a time. This is Courtney, and Diana is not here because I am in Rio and having like an amazing time. <laughs> um, I've been posting some things to Facebook, not a ton. I need to um, take some time and, and send out some more, but I've been able to see some amazing bateria rehearsals and some really awesome blocos and... There's these tiny little monkeys that run around, I can see from the window, and they're like in little families, they're super cute, and um, I hate to stereotype a group, but uh, they actually do like bananas. I know. <laughs> so today on the podcast, we have Neil Boss. He is a um, longtime friend of mine. I have loved knowing him. He's a great person, and you'll hear from the interview, like a genuine, gentle soul, like such a, a great guy. Um, a little bit more about Neil. He graduated from Yucca Valley High School, which is in California in 2009. Um, he did a lot of drumming and things there, the marching band and in the symphonic band. And then he also went to Humboldt State University and he graduated with a bachelor's degree in music performance and music education. He did a, he has a strong focus in Afro-Cuban music and Trinidadian music and uh, Brazilian. You'll hear that in the interview. You'll hear how many things he's involved in. Uh, in 2013, he was hired as musical director of Samba Nashuva, a musical troupe that specializes in Brazilian styles of music and dance. As a music director, he teaches private and group lessons. He also creates all the arrangements for their annual performance. In 2014, Neil became the director of Samba da Alegria Community Drummers. It's a project of the Inc. people through the nonprofit group Dance and Drum in Humboldt. 
which focuses on community involvement through learning and playing music. As the director, Neil teaches weekly drum classes year-round, as well as organizes and leads the yearly samba parade of over 200 participants. It's a really fun parade. He talked all about this in the interview. It's, it's really fun. In the fall of 2015, he was hired as an instructional aide for Trinidad Elementary School, where he is an aide for the 8th grade classroom, as well as an aide for the music teacher. He has also been assisting the after-school music programs at both Trinidad and Blue Lake schools for the past two years. This also includes music instruction through steel pan instrument, which is super cool that they have that in elementary school. Amazing. Neil is a multi-instrumentalist and was a member of Samba Amor, which is a, was a wonderful, fun, funky group. They were a world music fusion group, which has toured extensively throughout the West Coast, as well as recorded multiple albums. He also plays with the HSU Calypso Band, which specializes in steel pan repertoire from the islands of Trinidad and Tobago. During his seven years with the HSU Calypso Band, Neil has recorded three albums with the group, one of which featured him as a soloist, and he has had the opportunity to direct the steel band of over 50 people in the director's absence on multiple occasions. He has also performed with Steel Standing, another smaller uh, steel pan band where he's recorded on a couple of albums and was a soloist on multiple tracks. Um, he's also the principal percussionist for the Eureka Symphony in California since 2015. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. He's um, a great person and runs a really, really good Batteria there. They play with a lot of energy. They play with a lot of heart. They, they. I, I don't know how else to describe it. There, and they function as a real community. It's, it's a really great thing they've got going there. All right. I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to the Brazilian Beats. This is Courtney, and I am Diana. <laughs> you are. I am. Hi, Courtney. Hi. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? Good. Happy almost 2018. I know. It's exciting. It is. I feel so young. <laughs> <laughs> Any exciting plans for the New Year's Eve evening? No. Me either. Sleeping. Yeah. Exciting sleeping plans, I know. I wish they could change New Year's Eve to like the summer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> when I had more energy. What about our guests? Does our guest have any exciting plans? Hey, do you? Not that I know of. <laughs> Who's who that voice? Who's our guest today? Courtney? Neil Bost. Hello. Woo! From Arcata, California. Hello, hello. How's it going? Good it's to going see good. you. Well, talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. We had oh to do God. some arm twisting, but we got Neil mm-hmm. on the show. Thank you. Yes. Well, you are in Arcata right now, but tell us about... Um, Tell us about yourself a little bit, where you grew up. Yeah, so... How you got started. I grew up in Southern California in a little town called Yucca Valley, which uh, neighbors Joshua Tree, um, home of Joshua Tree National Park. So some people have heard mm-hmm. of that, famous for mm-hmm. rock climbing and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I grew up down there. Um, I didn't really play much music as a kid like growing up. I started in uh, eighth grade. I joined the eighth grade band um, on the clarinet. Oh, really? Which I loved. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Me too. Oh, really? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was kind of my first introduction to music. And nice. I, uh, I decided to join the band because my brother 
uh, joined the band in seventh grade and he played the trumpet. And when my parents found out that he was in the band, got accepted to be in the band, they were so happy, like so proud, so happy. <laughs> they were just like overjoyed. And I was like, man, like, I want that, you know? <laughs> <I> wanna... <laughs> what age What age were you guys again? Well, uh, seventh and eighth grade. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. like 13, mm-hmm. 12, 13. Um, so anyway, yeah, he joined the band and I kind of followed, followed suit. And then in high school, I wasn't really sure. I didn't really want to uh, continue being in the band in high school because um, I wanted to be cool and being in the band in high school, <laughs> to me, in my mind, uh, was not how you become cool. So I was like, ah, no, it's not for me. I don't, I don't want to do that. But, That's <laughs> and, uh, but then my friends and my brother eventually uh, were talking me into it, you know, kind of trying to, to get me to do it and eventually convinced me to, to join the drum line because they were short one person and oh you should do it just try it out you know so, all right fine and so i went to their little summer um kind of meeting and checking things out and um i just f- totally fell in love with drumming and music and percussion and mm-hmm. being in the drum line <clears throat> just i i just loved it i fell in love um i was kind of a natural to you know music and and drumming and so it was just really easy for me to to keep with that for all four years of high school. Um, so I definitely had that kind of marching band, drumline background in high school. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, it's time to pick a college. <clears throat> I ended up going uh, up to college here in Arcata, Humboldt State University. Um, it was not my first pick. I wanted to go to Long Beach State um, for some reason I can't remember, <laughs> but... Um, I didn't get in, and my brother had been accepted to Humboldt State, so it was kind of my second choice. So I ended up coming up here, and okay, you know, it'll be cool. I'll make the most of it. Um, not planning to do music at all. It was not in my future. Hmm. It was not my intention to study music, really? um, you know, t- or even really play it as much of a hobby. I I didn't know, um, but I was just kind of not expecting it. So I came to an orientation here and checking out some some of the classes that were being offered. And I eventually asked uh, somebody giving a presentation, Hey, you know, I, I like to play drums, you know, I was in marching band. Is there any sort of like percussion or anything, you know, available for me to kind of get into um, up here in Arcata? And he said, yes, definitely. Yes. Absolutely. So, like you came to the right place. You <laughs> may not have realized it, but, but you came to the right place. Um, so you start telling me about, um, Samba and, and Steel Pan and West African. And he said, there's, there's so much drumming up here that you can get involved with. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't know what the heck this guy was talking about. You know, I'd never heard of these things before. He said Samba. And I, I was thinking, my actually, my initial thought when he said, oh, yeah, there's a Samba group that plays. I was like, oh, Samba. Like, what is that? Is that like that Bossa Nova thing? Like, that seems kind of weird. Like, I don't know if I want to do that. You know, Samba, like, that's weird. <laughs> Um, and so anyway, we, you know, I check out and meet the music professor. Um, and at Humboldt State University, the main percussion director and music teacher is Eugene Novotny. Mm-hmm. And he told me about the steel pan program that they have at Humboldt State. And I said, yes, sign me up. I want to do that. And he also told me about the world percussion group that they have at the university as well, who, um, Eugene does not direct the World Percussion Group currently, 
uh, a man by the name of Howard Kaufman directs the World Percussion Group. And so I said, yeah, sign me up for everything. And that semester they were doing uh, samba. So uh, my really my first introduction to samba was at this World Percussion Group through Humboldt State. Was that your first year at Humboldt? That was my first year at Humboldt, yeah. I kind yeah, of jumped yeah. right in. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so they were doing uh, this samba afro arrangement that semester. Um, I remember I was playing tamborim. I remember that very clearly. <laughs> and kind of alongside uh, this world percussion group, they were also had this club that was meeting like after school, um, directed by one of the students, uh, kind of senior member of the program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so they were kind of doing um, extra, pretty much a study session of samba, um, just on their own, teaching whatever rhythms they knew, whatever they were kind of into, kind of separate from the school situation. Like a club kind of a thing? Yeah, it's just a club and these guys just kind of sharing what they knew about it. Cool. And <clears throat> I think that, you know, the World Percussion Group was great because it's a structured environment. It's at a university, college, you know, so there's you have this one performance at the end of the semester you know you're gearing up for so it's all very structured and kind of laid out very clearly so that was cool that was great um as an introduction but also this kind of more relaxed form of studying and getting exposed to the music that's really kind of what pulled my heart into the music Mm. is this way of playing the music that was you know kind of free um, and again, not to say that doing it at the university is not as appealing or not as good as that. Having both was really nice for me. Do you think it's because it, you liked the other because at the university it was like specific arrangements and the club or the the at the extra I don't know what you want to call mm-hmm. it club, the club yeah. version mm-hmm. was uh, like more laid back, I guess. Or? Yeah, I think having the structure of the university to have a specific arrangement and tell you exactly what your part is and what you're going to do um, is very helpful. But having the more relaxed environment um, kind of allows you to, I think, absorb it in a, in a slower way. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in the university, you have this performance. You're going to perform. You know that already. That's kind of set in stone. So you have to get the arrangement up to speed and up to par in a certain amount of time. But the club, we weren't performing at all. There was no pressure of performances. Um, it was just learning at our own pace and just whatever we, we, we wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. And in that club environment is where I really was exposed to the style of samba afro, um, specifically the music of Iliae. Mm-hmm. Um, and listening to that music, my, uh, my teacher at the time for that club was uh, this guy by the name of Fritz Danhausen. He was just a student at the time as well, kind of a senior Aww. student. But Fritz. Uh, yeah, you know Fritz, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, great guy. Um, and he had a, a deep passion for that music as well, Samba Afro specifically. So he shared with me all these Iliae albums, you know, and we were just studying the breaks, studying the grooves, and the the music of Iliae just really connected to me on, on a on a deep level. And that's that's really where I fell in love with Samba was studying Iliae, mm-hmm. Samba Afro. And studying mm-hmm. kind of with Fritz and just hanging out with my friends and just playing in a really relaxed setting. Um, that's really where I kind of was drawn into the world of Samba. Gotcha. Did you, so your first semester up there at Humboldt, did you see the community group 
thing that happens in September? Did, had, did you see that happen? Because that's what, that's the first time I ever saw Samba was that specific parade. Hmm. And it blew, it blew my mind. <laughs> was uh, our North country fair parade was the first time you saw yeah. Samba? Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, Years ago, right? Yeah, you were you were in high school, I think. Probably, yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe junior high. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I did not see the community group uh, much at all when I first started at the university. I didn't really know mm-hmm. it existed; hadn't heard about it. Um, I was just doing the yeah. the you know university thing. Uh, I, that summer, mm-hmm. their first parade. Uh, sorry, the first parade that I was there for during the summers when I saw them for the first time and I had no idea what they were about. I was just, um, so I guess this is a good time to talk a little bit about that, that parade, that event. Um, the community group in town has a once a year parade called the North country fair parade. And it happens in the summer and that's kind of their, their big gig. And I remember on that first summer that I was there in Arcata, I just had no idea about it. I heard about this fair. Okay, I'll come check it out. And as I'm walking down to this kind of plaza, the center kind of town area, I hear drums. You know, I hear this music. And I'm like, what is that? You know, so I like start like running down to the plaza to get there as soon as I can to, to check out, you know, these drums. And, and I see this samba group parading, you know. And there's Fritz, you know, walking by and he kind of waves to me. I'm like, man, like, whoa, what is that? You know. Like, I'm, I'm going to do that. <laughs> like, I, I got to do that. I got to figure out how to how to mm-hmm. be in something like that, a parade in the streets, you know, much different than my experience on stage performing with the university group, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was actually my, my first experience, too, because someone was like, oh, yeah, this fair is happening. I was like, all right, and I'll, I'll go check it out, mm-hmm. you know, and like, you know, it's on... It was on a Saturday back then, the Samba parade part. And I was going down there because I had all these juggling friends. So I was going to go juggle with my friends. And then this parade starts and there's like all these dancers. And the thing that was really cool about that to me is that I had grown up in the Midwest where there was a lot of like body shame for women and a lot of um, like older women would never Mm. dance in a parade like that. And this was like a parade full of people of all different ages, women of all different ages, like totally dressed up loving life having such a good time and like the drummers were like really good yeah. and i was just like this is awesome <laughs> yeah hmm. that's what i love yeah and that. that's a, a great point with our community here in Arcata. the the dancing community is very prominent yes uh, there's a huge huge group of dancers specifically for that parade for samba and of all the other kind of styles of music that exist in Arcata and are, are played mm-hmm. in Arcata, there's also a huge kind of dance community that accompanies yes. or, you know, exists alongside the drumming as well. So it's, it's great for some people's exposure is through the dancing, you know, and mm-hmm. then they, maybe they come and join the, the drumming groups from that, but people's exposure mm-hmm. in general to that culture and that style of music, you know, happens to the drum and the dance at the same time. And that's, a, I think it's a great thing about Arcata. Yeah. It supports a lot of, a lot of different styles. I mean, there's like a huge West African community as well with a lot of crossover, but there's also like a swing dance community and mm-hmm. salsa dance community. There's like a ton of dance. There. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly rich in Arcata. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. We have, you know, the, the kind of the main big drumming um, styles that are practiced and, and played in Arcata. We have, you know, Brazilian 
Afro-Cuban, West African, and Trinidadian, you know, Calypso, steel pa- the steel band, steel oh, band right. music. Yeah, yeah. So we have those kind of five groups represented really strongly in Arcata. And it's, yeah, very strong. it's, it's incredible. Um, again, I, when I came up here, I had no idea what to expect. Hadn't even heard about the town, heard about the college, you know, I had no idea. You come to this town, which is pretty small. I mean, yeah. as far as the geographic size, it's, it's a very small town. And isolated. It's hard to get in and out of. Yes. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, they call, I mean, so 101 North, right, is the highway kind of goes up through California and it goes up into Northern California and they kind of call it the Redwood Curtain. When you get to the, a certain part of the 101 North, you keep going North, you just hit the Redwoods, you know, these Redwood trees and it just becomes this rich kind of green environment. And it's, it takes a while to get up to that. You know, Arcata is pretty far North of California. It's mm-hmm. up there. Um, it mm-hmm. takes a while to get up there. So it's this isolated kind of bubble. We call it the Arcata bubble a lot, <laughs> very appropriately. Yeah. You know, and it's, yeah. but it's so dense with, with, you know, the arts. It's very, very dense in, uh-huh. in music and, you know, visual performing arts. It's a very dense community. Yeah, definitely. It's a wonderful place. Mm-hmm. I recommend <laughs> anyone to come visit, check uh, <laughs> it out, you know, hit me up. <laughs> we'll put you up. Definitely check it out. Cause it's, it's a very unique place. Yeah. It's wonderful. All right. Well, tell us about, um, well, I was going to say that we have this question, what type of music does your group do? But you, you play in several different things. Why don't you, can you just tell us a little bit about the, all the different groups? Are you still performing in the Calypso band? I am. Are yes. You? Mm-hmm. you are. Cool. Yeah. I still perform with the HSU Calypso band. Um, that's, I pretty much, I've decided that as long as I live in Arcata, and as long as Eugene Novotny is directing the Calypso band, I will play in the band. <laughs> and it's, it's something I didn't really talk about when I mentioned uh, Eugene before, but uh, he's definitely a mentor to me. I mean, he's he's an excellent, excellent teacher. Um, and the work he's done in the community of supporting and bringing these different styles of music into the community and through the university um, has had a profound effect on a lot of people's lives and definitely my own. I mean, I know I wouldn't be playing any of the styles of music that I'm playing currently without his influence and without him to kind of support the community in the way that he does. So um, playing with him, studying with him, the Eclipse of Band is, is, has always been a priority for me. And then in terms of the Brazilian side of music and with in terms of my involvement, I'm basically in kind of in three groups right now. We have the community group, um, which is called Samba da Alegria. And that's our kind of open community group mm-hmm. that does the parade every summer, the North Country Fair Parade, um, as its kind of primary function is to play that parade. Um, and then the group also does community events of all kinds. You know, we get contacted by organizers. Um, we mostly, we do a lot of events kind of for free just to support the community and just to be um, in service to the community uh, because we are we are of the community. We our members are drawn from, you know, all all over the place. Obviously, not not just the university, although we do have a fair number of students, but also, you know, the age range is is pretty huge. You know, we have like you know nineteen up on you know to to people who are retired and yeah. um, different jobs. It's it's definitely you know by definition a community group. So <clears throat> that's some of the Allegri, which I direct. Is that is that seasonal? Is that great? It's. Seasonal? 
it's not really. It's it goes year round, um, and the, the the current form format of that community group is that it we play year round every week, kind of every Sunday, we rehearse and um, to talk a little bit about the structure of that class. Yeah. Um, basically, we rehearse once a week for three hours, a three hour time slot every Sunday, and we break the three hours in half. So the first half is more of a class format. Um, first half hour, I'm breaking down just basic rhythmic concepts. Um, and sometimes we'll just have practice pads and sticks. And I'm just talking about, you know, different concepts rhythmically. And we just kind of break it down without the drums, which can kind of be overwhelming, especially people just trying to get into the style of music. Uh, so we take the drums away and we just kind of have sticks and a practice pad and we go over concepts just basic rhythmic concepts not even necessarily relating to samba or any style of music specifically but kind of basic rhythmic concepts Mm -hmm. um and then we kind of break into we get the drums in the room and we start you know exploring basic samba grooves and breaks and arrangements um so it's definitely supposed to be a beginner class at the beginning there and then the second half of the class is supposed to be kind of an intermediate where people are attending that have been attending for a while. They know the arrangements that we've been working on. Um, it's kind of more of a rehearsal setting on the second half of the class. Do you kind of uh, welcome the beginners to leave or how do you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's when a good question. Starts. Totally. Yeah. Um, so usually how we run it is if there's a performance coming up that the group is trying to prepare for. Uh-huh. Um, that would take priority in the second half of class, obviously, that kind of rehearsal period. And if we're getting ready for a performance, we kind of asked beginners, people who haven't really been around for too long, um, to wait for the performing group to choose their drums, kind of get settled, because we have community drums that most people use. Most people do not have their own drums. So we let people choose their own drums. And then if there's extra drums available, you're welcome to kind of put on a drum and follow along and get exposed to the music in that way, just by kind of absorbing as best you can by participating in the rehearsal. But the expectation is that you will not perform until we've talked about it. And it's agreed that you're ready to perform. You feel ready. The director feels that you're ready, but you're welcome to attend the rehearsal. And if you're really trying to you know, mm-hmm. be a part of this group, you know, part of it is just kind of throwing yourself into it. So uh, we invite people to yeah. attend the rehearsal and pl- even play along with it if they feel comfortable um, knowing that they're not going to be performing. Gotcha. Do you have section leaders then that help out with that? We don't really have section leaders that have been clearly defined until we hit kind of parade season. So you did mm-hmm. ask if it was seasonal and it's not really, except when the parade season's coming, we kind of kick it into high gear. And we, yeah. you know, the expectation is a little higher for what we want out of the group. So I assign section leaders when we get ready for the parade um, that help out, you know, obviously with rehearsals and extra sectionals and stuff like that. But the as as a whole throughout the year, we don't really have section leaders that are active. Gotcha. And then do people pay to be a part of it? Yes. So we um, charge a $3 per person drop-in fee. That's so cheap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a really good um, good situation we have. We work with the uh, Arcata Recreation Department. 
that has opened up one of their community centers for us to use. That's great. So they have a drop-in fee that applies also to sports groups and any kind of clubs and those types of groups that use the community centers. Um, so we're kind of one of the community centers groups that, you know, rents the space gotcha. um, and they just charge uh, three, three bucks per person. So it's a nice, a nice yeah, deal. Yeah. <laughs> so people get lessons from you. Do you get paid at all? Like people get lessons from you for free, learn how to drum, <laughs> all that stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and I should say, yeah, we, we charge $3 per person. That's kind of the minimum charge is to just pay rent, help us pay rent for the space. Um, uh-huh. And the rest is donation based. So I do get paid um, pretty much anything that's left over after rent goes to me and goes to gotcha. pay me for good. instruction. Yeah, good. And what happens to funds from uh, like paid gigs? Does that go back into the band for instruments and things like that? Yep, exactly. And we have a, a band fund that we get you know money from mostly gigs. We do fundraisers and stuff every now and then as well. And that goes into the band fund. Yeah, exactly. To pay for instruments, extra drum heads, all that kind of stuff. But I don't pay myself from the band fund, just from those kind of rehearsal uh, weekly sessions. But everything else goes into the fund. I didn't realize you guys that the band owned all those drums. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. yeah, all the ones that you see in the parade, except for you know a few personals, are are the group's drums, which is also makes it really appealing to bringing in new players. You know, we can kind of announce that all you need to do is show up. You know, pitching three bucks, we got the drums, we have mm-hmm. the space. You just show up and, and be ready to play, and it's it's definitely nice to have um, a community set of drums that we can share. Yeah, yeah, that's great. All right, so I cut you off to ask a million questions mm-hmm. about that group. So, what are the other groups? That you're yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that you're involved with. Uh, that was one. Uh, another one is uh, a private group uh, that we call Samba Floresta, and uh, the private group is kind of essentially invite only. You know, you can think of it in that way. That's kind of newer too, right? New, newer. Group. It is, yeah. And to talk a little bit about kind of the history of different Samba groups that have existed in Arcata. So the smaller groups have primarily been made up of HSU students who went through the percussion department, the percussion program. And, you know, usually like 10 people max, just a small group doing private gigs, different events that the community group doesn't uh, participate in. So, um, there has right. in the past been many of these small groups that have formed out of the larger community group and from the school, from the university. I think the highest number of Samba groups that we had in Arcata was, I think, five. We kind of had five different Samba groups that were all active at the same time <laughs> in Arcata, which is pretty ridiculous considering the size of that um, town and that community. I know. I would like you to repeat that actually, because <laughs> there are so many people in huge towns that are like, oh no, there's a second group starting in our town of half a million people. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, come on. No, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, both. having, having five yeah. groups simultaneously, you know, is in a town of like 50,000 people. I mean, how many people live in Arcata? 45,000? You know, I can't answer that question. I don't, I don't know the population size off the top of my head. I think it's um, like 60 but... with the surrounding like McKinleyville. And okay. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds about right. Um, but I think maybe even more importantly, the, the amount of venues in Arcata, <laughs> right. not many. you know, we have 
a handful um, that yeah. that are available. So to have that many different groups, I think mainly it's a testament to the amount of people that are involved in the music scene in Arcata, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. Samba and the kind of general world music scene in Arcata. It's a huge number of people. A lot of students, like I said before, a lot of ex-students, you know, alumni who have just wanted to stay in Arcata and live there and still be active in the community um, musically. So it's, there were a lot of people really interested and really engaged. I mean, it's also a testament to the type of kind of, uh, how should I say, disputes that can arise (laughs) in a community in general. But also, you know, yeah. in um, <laughs> I guess I'll just leave it there. In, in any community, you know, you can have disputes, especially. But I think Arcata is very small, very small town. You know, the small town kind of vibe. It can produce a lot of kind of internal conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, so even even without you know getting the drama involved, just artistically, people have different things that they want to see come out of this style of music that is in Arcata, you know, exists in Arcata. We have this Brazilian music culture that we are all learning from. And from that, a lot of people want to do things with that. You know, some people want to play the Brazilian music and play samba the way it's played in Brazil as accurately as possible. That's some people's aesthetic. So some people want a small group that's just going to do that. Other people you know, their aesthetic is more of a, a fusion type of setting where they're drawing from Brazilian music as well as other cultures and other styles of music to create something new. So you have all these differences in right. opinion about what, you know, what should happen with this influence of music in, in the town. So that kind of, I think, is something that really drives the different groups to arise when you have different opinions about what should happen. So Neil, with this private group, um, how are people selected? Is there an audition or do you just choose people that are the right fit? How do you go about this? Uh, the way I do it is just by kind of invite only. So I am drawing from mainly the community group, the Samba de Alegria community group. I'm kind of watching and seeing the members that are really involved and really kind of committed to the community group and really kind of hungry, you know, for the rhythms and really wanting to to play and learn mm-hmm. and people that are showing um, high facility on their instrument based off of individual practice and whatever co- goes into that. But I'm kind of choosing myself based off of the community group and, and what I'm seeing out of the members of the group. So it's, we don't really have an audition process for the private group, mostly based off of, you know, people's individual commitments and my choice. So I'm sure there are hurt feelings at times, people that want to be part of this group. Is that the case? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, th- I think that does happen. Um, I I have been, you know, uh, contacted, I would say, I don't say approached, uh, but I've been, you know, people have let me know that they want to be a part of these groups and that they are disappointed that they weren't kind of given that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that can be a tough thing um, to facilitate and to kind of manage. Um, I do feel like in the, de- the decisions I make are based off of, you know, sound um, judgments. And it, again, in Arcata, we have a, a small community. 
And I think that creates a high potential for interpersonal conflict. Mm-hmm. So I, the last thing I want to do is to create any schisms, to create conflict between people, certainly not me and any other people. So I try my best to be very communicative about my expectations mm-hmm. when it comes to choosing members of the private group. And also if people are, you know, approaching me saying, hey, I'm kind of disappointed. I, you know, I'm not in the group. I'll talk to them and explain to them very clearly why I made my decisions. Cause they are based off on, off of specific expectations. I'm not doing, it's not a, um, not playing favorites, you know? So can you give us an example of like one of those specific conversations? Have you been like, well, you know, well, you didn't practice that much or, I mean, how does how that does go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me think. You don't have to name any names. <laughs> yeah. Unless you want to. <laughs> uh, definitely trying to avoid getting into trouble in this interview. That's definitely one of my, my goals. Courtney, you're leading him. Yeah. So, that? She's leading you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so uh, I had one individual that um, is always very committed to the group and shows up consistently to the community open rehearsals. Um, always talking to me about what they can do to be more involved and to kind of show up more if they can and just, just kind of, they really want to be involved as much as they can. And they, this individual specifically requested to be a part of the smaller group, the private group, which usually... And actually, I would say that that's probably the only time an individual had requested to be in the private group and contacted me specifically with that request. Um, and this individual, I felt, wasn't ready, wasn't ready to be in the in the private group. So basically what I said was, you know, it starts with the community group and it starts with me being able to observe the type of commitment in that community group that I think would lead to you being successful in the private group. And the one of the specific things I said was being able to show up to the community group environment and really know your parts. And it's kind of obvious when you have an individual showing up and needing to be reminded of what instrument is appropriate to play in what style? Right, right. Um, how does that break go? What does this arrangement, what does Samba Afro mean? You know, what what do I play? What does the groove sound like in Samba Afro? If an individual is needing to be reminded on a weekly basis of those details and those specifics, in my opinion, they're not ready to be in the private group. Yeah. So that was kind of what I said to that person is, hey, if you want to be a part of this, awesome. Go for it here's what I need to see. And it starts with the community group. I want you to show up and, you know, know your parts, be able to be a section leader, you know, because the people that are in my private group um, are the ones that I choose to be section leaders leading up to the parade. So if I see that you can lead a section on your instrument, then yeah, maybe you're ready to be in the private group. But until that happens, you know, it's, I I just don't think you're ready. So that's kind of how it went down. Yeah, that sounds pretty obvious, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I think it's obvious when you can observe in that more community open setting whether an individual is ready or not. It's it's obvious to me. 
Yeah, totally. Interesting. So the third group I'm in, <laughs> if you want to <laughs> continue down that conversation. I think this is the fourth group because you have the Calypso band. Okay. The big, yeah. big community group, Subfloresta. Yeah, huh? yeah. This is number okay. four. Well, I guess I was counting <laughs> some groups, but, but okay. Yeah. Um, four groups. Yeah. So the, the fourth group is uh, Samba Najuva, and that's the group that uh, has been really involved at Brazil Camp for the past, um, I think, over 10 years. And that group is led by Maria Vanderhorst. Shout out to Maria. Maria. <laughs> so she leads the kind of the dancer contingent of Samba Najuva. And I would say primarily Samba Najuva exists as um, kind of a dancing group, a group that is made up of, of dancers, and it has live accompaniment. Um, that group, as far as I know, um, has maybe never performed without the drums, so they very much exist, they very much coexist. But I would say that as a differentiation between Samba Floresta and Samba Najuva, Samba Najuva, its priority is the dance, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'm the musical director of Samba Najuva. So I direct the accompaniment. I direct the group of drummers that performs for their dance arrangements. And that group actually, one of their main gigs, kind of like Samba Alegria has their one yearly gig. Samba Floresta does Fat Tuesday, so Mardi Gras. Um, that's their big, big gig every year. And I work with Maria to, you know, make that show kind of happen. Nice. Does Samba Floresta have drummers? I mean, dancers? No. No, right now we're just drummers. Gotcha. Um, but it's, the, like you said, that group is fairly new. Mm-hmm. And it's still kind of developing right now. We're just focused on drums. We actually kind of pretty much started as a study group, kind of like the club. Mm. Um, but more with an emphasis on performing, but basically just to get together and geek out on samba. <laughs> to geek out awesome. on that sounds awesome. You know, it, it is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of my favorite things that I do in my life right now. Um, yeah, sweet. But basically, it, I, when samba, to, samba Floresta started, we had multiple members that had already been to Brazil camp. Some people had been to Brazil and come back and a lot of people, even in the community, like Fritz is a part of that group. He does a lot of studying on his own, and he's also been to Brazil. So we had a lot of people in the community that had all this information kind of in their heads, and we just wanted an outlet for it. So we started Samba Floresta to really come together and um, hash out our ideas and, and to realize these arrangements, you know, to bring them to life. Because going to Brazil camp, I mean, you come back and you you're you know, overflowing with arrangements and ideas and breaks and mm-hmm. grooves and all the stuff that you want to make happen and you want to perform, you know, you want to play it again, other than that one Saturday at the end of Brazil <laughs> camp, you want to do it again. So Floresta became a great way to continue playing these awesome arrangements that we all loved and just to continue studying. And nice. Yeah. How many people are in that group? Um, Floresta, I think we were okay. six at last count. Yeah, six. It's we've gone yeah. through some personnel sh- changes. Um, sure. But right now we're six. And how many um, in Samba Nashuva? Um, so right now it's 
the same group as Samba Foresta that uh, accompanies for Samba Nechuba. Mm. So with just the drummers, it's the same exact people. So we have six drummers. And that's kind of how Samba Foresta started, is Samba Nechuba needed an accompanying band. And I was chosen as a director after the previous director left. I was chosen as a new director to direct the music for Samba Nechuba. And so I needed a band. You know, I needed to call a group of people. So that was kind of the start of the private group that I started to direct. I was to accompany Salma Nechuva, and that was seasonal for a few years. Um, we just were getting ready for Mardi Gras. You know, we'd come together for a few months before, learn a bunch of breaks, you know, get some material down. And then after the show's over, we kind of were done. Um, but out of that came, you know, this... <laughs> this thirst to keep playing. You know, we didn't want it to be a seasonal thing. Alegria was going year round, but we wanted, you know, a small private group that could play year round. So that's kind of how Samba Floresta started. How many nights a week are you <laughs> rehearsing? Well, um, when everything's <laughs> running, um, kind of full, full steam, mm-hmm. um, that's four nights a week. Four nights a week. So Clips of Band has a night. The community group has a night, and then Floresta Nechuva is going to start doing two nights a week to get ready for Mardi mm. Gras. So that's basically wow. what we're looking at. And you're in a leadership role with all of those, except for the Calypso. That's correct. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Now, Neil, you also have been up here to, to the Pacific Northwest. You played with us in Monica 2 PDX for our... Mm. Pride Parade, and then you play up in Seattle too with a big band. What are they called? Yeah, Bloco Pacifico. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, how did that all start coming up to the Northwest to play? Yeah, so it started with a band called Samba Moore. So Samba Moore was a private group, like I've been talking about, one of the yet another one <laughs> that used to exist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Samba Moore is, isn't playing, is not active right now, but it was active for many years, um, and that was under the directorship of Jesse Jonathan. And so Samba Moore was a private band that its kind of take on the world music scene and on the Brazilian music um, style was definitely fusion-based. Um, Samba Moore was definitely trying to use the influence, influences that we had all gained by living in Arcata and create new music to create um, something that was just inspired by all these different styles. So some of more. And there were like horn, horn players in that band. Mm-hmm. And it was in, yeah, it was like a honk style mm-hmm. band. If you guys know what that is. Exactly. Yeah. So some of more, one of his kind of goals was to go to honk fest, which is this, Okay, kind of. I would, I would kind of call it a street band festival. It's pretty much just a music festival, free, free music festival that features pretty much acoustic, you know, non-electric parading bands and kind of street style bands. So they have kind of New Orleans groups that show up, um, big marching bands, samba groups were a big part of it. Um, and really some kind of crazy groups that show up at that event. Um, it's a great time, by the way. If you've never gone Honkfest West in Seattle, it's a good time. Yeah, so we were kind of, yeah. So we were kind of 
shooting for Honkfest, and you know we applied one year and we got in. So it's, it happens in the summer. So we're making up, making a, a trip up to to Honkfest, and I'm trying to remember if it was the first or second year that we went to Honkfest that we found out about um, this samba group in Seattle called Bamola that was performing in a parade happening on the same weekend as Honkfest called the Fremont Solstice Parade and the Fremont Solstice Fair. And they also performed at Honkfest as a small group. Yes, they did. Yeah, Vamala like performed at Honkfest. Kind of yeah. yeah, so that was yeah. an interesting weekend. You know, you have Honkfest and a Solstice Parade happening at the same time. <laughs> so a lot of the groups that played at Honkfest would also end up parading um, for the Solstice Parade as well. They happened, you know, at this, even at the same location. So a lot of bands would do this two-hour, you know, Seattle Solstice Parade, end up at Gasworks Park, and play a set for Honkfest. So it was kind of a pretty crazy um, but really awesome uh, event. So Vamala kind of had this uh, Fremont Solstice Parade gig, and Samuel Moore was like, hey, that looks fun. <laughs> you know, <laughs> can we join on that party? And basically, I think the first time we went, we just totally crashed the party and showed up with our, <laughs> our drums. We left the horns out of the mix, thank God. But we showed up with the drums and um, just kind of <laughs> learned as we went, you know, as we went down the street with these guys, which, you know, is what happened. It's, that's, that's all I'll say about it. It's what we did. It's what happened at the time. <laughs> um, but then... Year, year you one. <laughs> so then in the... And the years after that, we started contacting uh, the organizers of Bamala ahead of time. What a concept. And saying, hey, <laughs> we want to be involved. You know, let's, can you share the arrangement you're going to play so we can teach it to our group? So we can learn it and show up and be ready and, and just support your group for this event. And then it kind of snowballed. And we started contacting other groups in the Pacific Northwest area, groups from Oregon, um, and even... Eventually, British Columbia. We, yeah, exactly. We got a uh, local Alegria, I believe they're called. Oh no, uh, Energia, mm-hmm. right in Vancouver. Yeah, um, and also local Alegria and other groups, kind of in that kind of pretty much California, Oregon, Washington area, and Oliwa, Olympia, yeah, Oliwa, Olympia, Samaja, Eugene, of course, Samaja. Cannot leave them out. Can't forget those guys. No, no, of course. So we started contacting all these groups and we just inviting everybody that we could. And now this is, oh man, I don't know the years off the top of my head, but doing it for a few years, the last summer, um, it was huge. We had, I think, at least five different groups come together to create this giant group that hit the streets for that solstice parade. So it became this, you know, mission to pull together as many groups as we could, you know, become this giant super group of as many people as possible. And really with a vision of, <laughs> of bringing people together, you know, as many people as we can, and especially, you know, there are quite a few groups kind of in this Pacific Northwest area. We really wanted to bring them all together and give everybody something to work for. And it became a really fun event. So much fun. And how does it work with the arrangements and who, who leads? How does that work? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, We've done different things, but 
So basically, we take turns picking arrangements. So one year, Seattle Vamala would choose two pieces for the parade, and they would come up with the arrangement and make recordings, take videos of all the different sections of the arrangement, have charts written out, and share these this media you know to all the different groups. And for the dancers as well, they do a whole dance arrangement hmm. or choreography right. and send it out. Mm-hmm. And they all practice on their own, yeah. Yeah, so someone will um, arrange choreography to one of our arrangements. And they'll share that, videos of, of the choreography to all the different groups. So mainly it's just by sharing you know videos and charts and recordings to different groups. Um, and in previous years, we've had, you know, Arcata has arranged one of the pieces and Seattle has arranged the second piece of the parade. And we have choreographers in Arcata, you know, um, Rocio Talavera has, has arranged <clears throat> choreography and shared it. So that was, I think, really the idea, you know, is we're having all the different groups contribute their own thing to the to the event. Mm-hmm. You know, Seattle has their arrangements. We have ours. We're going to come together and share what we've learned in the arrangements that we like and that we know about and kind of bring it all together. Nice. Yep. It ends up being really fun. Courtney, have you participated? Uh-huh. Yeah. I think I participated three years in a row. Unfortunately, now Honkfest has separated time. They're at a different time of the year, like a little bit earlier. And so the Honkfest and the Solstice Parade don't line up. And we've got our exactly. um, Pride Parade here in Portland, too. That you know. and, Yeah. And that's when I stopped going, actually, was when I got more involved in market too, and um, wasn't able to make it, but it's a, it's, it was a highlight of my year for three or four years there. It was fun. Yeah. It's interesting now that they've split up the weekends. Honkfest, I think happens the weekend before, or maybe two. Did you guys go to both? Um, since they did the split, I mm-hmm. haven't been to both. Yeah. It's no, a lot. It, yeah. It's, it's a lot, especially driving up to Seattle. It's not a, yeah. a short trip. It's about a day, <laughs> yeah. a day drive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I haven't been to both. I'm I'm prioritizing um, the Solstice Parade, though. I really want to be involved mm-hmm. in that large Sama community that we've created. Is, and is that yeah, just, sorry? Ahead. Is it is that the same day as a naked bike ride up there? It is. It's is the same it? parade. Okay. It's the same event. Yeah. They don't yeah, just make it a separate. Ride. No, that kicks off the Solstice. Parade. No, well, it starts out with a bunch of naked people. <laughs> <laughs> like, yep. Yeah, they kick off. They kick off the party. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> cool. Word for sure. So, um, where were we? Oh, Neil, I wanted to ask you. I know you're the leader of a lot of these groups, but what do you do as far as education and going out and seeking new material, or do you go to workshops? What do you What do you do? Hmm. Yeah, well, um, Brazil Camp was one of my main sources mm-hmm. of uh, material for a few years. I think I went f- five years in a row now. Um, so that's been a big one for me. Um, great teachers come to that event. I mean, you can, mm-hmm. I've like, <laughs> I've fueled many events with, with the information I've <laughs> gathered at Brazil Camp. Um, in addition, I we bring teachers to Arcata. So we've... Mm-hmm. Um, had the pleasure of having 
you know, Dudu Fuentes come up to Arcata and teach some workshops. Um, Derek Wright has come and shared his knowledge of Morocco too. And he, on one occasion, brought uh, Nininu uh, Giolinda and right. to teach us as well. So we bring people to Arcata. Um, that's more of a recent thing is bringing teachers into Arcata. Um, again, it's kind of hard to get to, so it can be a challenge to bring people to us. <laughs> but mainly for me, I mm-hmm. Brazil Camp's the main one, bringing teachers in whenever I can and studying online. And uh, it's kind of funny to say, but uh, you know, you can learn a lot from YouTube. I mean, there's a, a lot of information out there mm-hmm. that you can gather just through self-study. A lot of things you can learn by by using online resources to study. And I... I have mixed feelings about getting information in that way. Um, so I try to go to the source and learn from teachers specifically as best I can. But there is a lot of information that you can gain from YouTube as well. And you do, um, you're fairly close to the Bay Area. Do you do you go into the city at all to to take classes or anything? Not really. It's it's a bit of a drive. I mean, it's, it's still it's like, like six a, hours or something. Five, mm-hmm. six hour drive yeah. down to the bay. So, um, it you know, it has complications with trying to to make that happen. And I don't uh, really make trips down there as much as I, I would like. But mm-hmm. um, I guess another thing I'll say about the ways I get information and arrangements is is by participating and performing with different groups. So, mm-hmm. Seattle is one. You know, I just played with uh, Morocco 2 PDX for the first time last summer. That was awesome, by the way. I want to do that again if I can. That was a great yeah, time. Come back. It was awesome to have you. Yeah, that was, that was a great time, especially the day after the Solstice Parade. That was that was a good weekend. Um, but also, um, you know, Grupo Samba U in uh, San Francisco with Georgie and Jimmy Biala. Playing with those groups is a great way to get information. It kind of feels like I'm at Brazil camp again. You know, I participate in these rehearsals and this performance and I'm like taking notes and making recordings and trying to, you know, bring back some of this information to my groups as well. Did you do Georgie's carnival last year? Did you do that? Um, the, at San Francisco? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I went to that last year. Cool. I heard good things. I was thinking about doing that this year. People were talking, Neil. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's a really fun event. Um, especially to play with Georgie, um, have him in the room. And especially playing Hepiniki with Georgie was a oh, learning wow. experience. Man, that was oh. intense, but that, that was great. Um, <laughs> to play with those guys, it's, it's fun. That's a an excellent opportunity, especially because in order to play with that group, it's completely up to you and your own personal dedication to determine whether or not you're going to perform with them. Um, Jimmy Biala has um, a lot of resources that, he's given to me to kind of prepare me for playing with that group. But, you know, I'm only there maybe the day before, usually the day of their event. So I'm studying Mm -hmm. the recordings, learning the breaks, just listening. It's a lot of self-study to be able to prepare for that event, which is, I think, really great um, to kind of make yourself be inspired enough to practice Mm -hmm. and, and learn what you need to do to be able to perform. I'm going to interject a note here in that you are probably the fastest learner I've ever seen. <laughs> First or top like one or two. I mean, not only do you learn really fast, but you're one of those people that like 
as the whole thing is playing, you're like taking notes and you're like getting it all down. I'm just like, how do you do that? Yeah. But there's, you know, there's, you have a, an amazing ability to take in information and learn it, like make it your own very quickly, which is really impressive. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I've, yeah. I, I remember this reminds me of something I heard Masio Peter say at Brazil camp. I've heard him say it a few times, actually. Um, he, you know, he, one of his main groups that he plays with is Iliae, but he's studied a lot of different styles, Samba Hege, you know, rhythms of Chimbalada, Olodum, a lot of different groups. And he was kind of, he's mentioned at Brazil camp that he's gone around and sought out a lot of different rhythms in Brazil. And, you know, he says he used to do it when he was kind of younger because he was hungry. He was hungry for the rhythms. He just wanted as much as he can get. And I kind of really related to that. You know, I've, it's kind of what started when I joined uh, marching band, the drumline in high school. As soon as I was exposed to this, you know, music, I was hungry. I couldn't get enough of it. And especially coming to Arcata, there's all these different cultures to learn from and all these different styles. It's, it's definitely like um, a drive that you feel to just learn as much as you can. Um, it's, it's an addiction in a way, you know, you just mm-hmm. want, you want it <laughs> all the time and as much as you can get. And it's, it's always kind of been the way it is for me. It's especially with the world music. You know, I just I want it all. <laughs> I, I have a, a deep passion for the music. Yeah, for sure. I feel like I have that same hunger as you, but you have this ability to eat faster than me. <laughs> <laughs> a bigger stomach, maybe. You have a yeah. bigger spoon yeah, or yeah, something. Totally. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> It's nice. like one of those eating contests, <laughs> Courtney, and he's That's eating funny. you. <laughs> it's not a competition, I know this, but you just, yeah, just I, I admire that ability to take it in and, mm. and retain. Yeah, it's cool. Neil, you mentioned your brother earlier. Um, does he still live in Arcadia, and does he play samba and in your groups? Uh, yes, yeah, my brother lives in Arcadia still. He is doing his master's degree at HSU. Humboldt State um, in biology right now, um, mm-hmm. mostly studying forest ecology. And so he's been in the community as long as I have. And uh, he's been playing Samba with me pretty much from the beginning. Um, so he's very active in the Samba community. Um, he still plays with me in the, my private group and in the community group. So he's very involved in Samba. And just for anyone who isn't aware, we're twin brothers. So his name is Drew, and he's um, 28, 28 minutes older than me. So he's <laughs> my twin brother. Um, and yeah, he's my, my older brother. Yeah, and so he's, he's definitely still involved. And um, I said it, kind of said it before when I was talking about how I started with music. He's definitely been an inspiration for me to, to play music and to continue playing music. He's an excellent musician. I hold him in a very high regard. And yeah, it's, it's great to play with him. I feel very fortunate to be able to live in the same town as him and continue to play music with mm-hmm. him. Is he still playing trumpet? Uh, not so much. Um, he was playing mainly with Samba Moore. Uh, and since that yeah. stopped, he hasn't really been playing trumpet. Hmm. Yeah, Samba Moore was, I didn't, I meant to talk about this a little bit more before. Yeah, so Samba Moore has gone through a lot of different kind of formations over the years. And it started as just a drum group and expanded we introduced horns and we had dancers as well and we had this horn section that was involved which is a total game changer right i mean all of a sudden you have melody 
and you know form of a song that you're mm-hmm. trying to follow. And it's very similar to um, the Samba and Hidus, where it's not just the drums anymore. The drums now exist to support the song. So, you know, you have this total shift in the function of the drums and the function of the music. Um, and some of more definitely expanded that idea with drums and horns to become a kind of a stage band setting where we had drum set, we had electric guitar and bass, and we had samba drums on the stage at the same time with the horns and the dancers. Um, it really kind of realized this very full vision of what can come from drawing from world music and the styles of music that you can find from Brazil and, and you know Africa and Cuba. And it really created this you know, new sound that was that was influenced by all these different styles. And I guess the last thing I'll say about that, um, this is reminding me of something one of my teachers told me once, to really pay homage to a culture and a style of music, there's kind of three ways you can do that. The first way is to just show appreciation for a style of music and say, hey, I like that. And maybe you play it you know, on your radio or something, and you just kind of appreciate it. The second level is imitation. (laughs) You say, hey, I like that. I want to do that too. And you kind of create, you know, a way to replicate that music. Pay homage to it in that way. And the third way is through inspiration. So you hear the style of music and you say, wow, I love that. That makes me want to do this. And that kind of always stuck with me. And I... I wouldn't say, you know, everyone should agree with that, you know, or should, you know, feel the same. But I always like thinking of that, that, you know, one of the highest ways you can pay respect to a culture and to a style of music that you enjoy and appreciate is to be inspired by it and draw inspiration from it and to create something new from that. (laughs) Not quite sure how I got there, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember um, Samba Amor... A few years ago it was a fun danceable just rootsy it was really fun that was a fun group yeah i think our description was oh man dance oh my gosh i'm not gonna get it right but essentially essentially <laughs> you know dance <laughs> celebration you know we're trying to celebrate life through dance and music yeah hopefully you would have a whole i mean at Honkfest, a whole lawn full of people dancing, <laughs> just with huge smiles, just joyfully moving their bodies like they didn't care what they were doing. It just, you know, they couldn't help themselves. It was, yeah. It was and fun. sometimes that's the goal. You know, that's really the point of it all. Mm-hmm. And especially, I mean, there's, a, there's a, a lot of things you can get out of playing music in general, but specifically playing samba. I mean, you're pulling so many people together. I mean, it takes a very high level of organization and individual practice and communication and a lot goes into making these groups happen. And I feel like you kind of have to have a goal in mind to do all this work and to put all this in. And I think one of the, my main goals has always been to bring people together and make them feel happy, you know, as like basic as I can get with it yeah. is to bring people together through music and to uplift, right. uplift, uplift, uplift the spirit. Yeah. 
it's basic, but it's important. I mean, it's something that I don't think American culture right now really has. Like we don't have a dance culture necessarily anymore, but outside of like club dancing, but there's not like a lot of social mm-hmm. dance. Do you guys know what I'm saying? Am I, am I making sense? Like there's not yeah. really like necessarily a, yeah. a, a time where people gather together mm-hmm. and have some, some sort of like cathartic experience to, of the week, you know, to get this out. Like, well, that's why, like, you know, say if you do a samba, you know, like a, like a pagoji, like we don't have that in the U.S. Right. It's like it's so fun to get together, sing these songs that you all know. And, you know, it's not my culture, but I just totally uh, feel so happy yeah. when I do it because I'm sharing something with my friends like that. Right. You know, it's it's something simple yet deep. Right. I think maybe church used to be that for people, but I think our sort of age group demographic is not as involved in that anymore. You know, coming together to sing you know, on Sunday mornings mm-hmm. could be a little mm-hmm. bit of a so. yeah. analogy to, and analogous. Is that the right word <laughs> to that, <laughs> to that, but you know, we don't really have yeah. this like joyful, expressive thing. I think that's important. You know, what you said, I think is, it's right on money. And even with our groups, you know, sometimes, you know, we've talked about this before, Courtney, about, you know, with, with our guests about drama in the group and that's where it gets to be complicated because you don't want the group uh you want it to be fun you know you do it for a happy reason not for for drama or anything like that which which neil question for you how do you deal with drama in your group well i would say basically if a situation occurs within the group um, it's. I feel it is my responsibility as the director to deal with that issue. So most of the time I will approach individuals that are having drama with themselves if it's not uh, connected to me. If two individuals are having a beef or whatever, an argument, and I could tell there's friction, mm-hmm. I will make it a point to talk to both of the individuals and try to just communicate, just use communication as best as I can to figure out what the problem is and try to reach some sort of compromise. Because yeah. again, it's it's about bringing everyone together. So if people are feeling like they're having a hard time being in the same room as one another, mm-hmm. that's a problem. So we need to reach some sort of compromise. Something I think is interesting about Samba, you know, different a lot of different types of community music in general, but definitely Samba, it it is a social environment, but while you're participating in the activity, you're not talking to each other. You know, there's no room for verbal communication. So it's, I don't think it's necessarily a, a requirement that you be able to get along with another person in order to play in the same group as them and get along in the way of like, I want to hang out with you outside of this and be your friend. It's not necessarily You know, you can still bring people together. We could focus on this task and this goal. Mm-hmm. And while we're doing this task and goal, we're not, you know, talking to each other. We're not trying to really interact on that way. And maybe that's really the time that these arguments arise is when these two people are communicating with each other and there's something happening there and they just cannot communicate with each other. Whatever it is, this is not happening. 
fortunately, we're in a situation where it's not necessary while we're participating in the actual event of practicing, you know, performing, playing the music. We're just playing, and that's all that matters. Of course, outside of that, that's when, you know, things need to be mediated. And that's really, I mean, I do my best to be a mediator in those situations and to make sure everyone, if possible, can coexist. And if not, you know, then unfortunately someone removes himself from that situation. And I've fortunately never uh, had to request that someone removes himself from our group. But that would definitely be kind of my my last, you know, solution. If a compromise isn't able to be reached, the group needs to go on, you know, so someone needs to remove himself. Fortunately, I haven't got to that point. Yeah, that's a good point that um, sometimes, especially if you got a big group, like there are people that, like there's people in some of the groups I play that I don't really know that well, like I know their <laughs> names, but I don't really, you know, we don't really talk necessarily. It's not because I don't like them. It's just because there's so many people in the group, you know, it's hard to be close to everybody and it, you can, you know, yeah, interesting. Yeah. And it's, it's really, you think about, you know, you get a 40 person group together or a 50 person group together, you know, it's like almost impossible for every single member to be able to be friends with each other. You know, I mean, we're yeah. talking about people, especially a community group from all walks of life, all different ages, you know? So I think it's, Honestly, what one of the most beautiful things about this style of music is that it brings right. so many different people together that can That's work what I was on thinking. something yeah. and, and be a part of something that does not depend on their own personal situation and their own identity. Mm-hmm. It's really, you know, we're all coming together to create one identity that is, in my opinion, much greater than our own individual selves. Exactly. The sum is greater exactly. than the parts. And I think that definitely holds true yeah, with, and, with this style of music. Yeah. And I think it's a good, like right now, I feel like, you know, especially in the United States, we're all separating into our little, mm-hmm. our little camps, our little groups. And I think it's a great thing to bring people together and people have to learn to get along too, you know, with people they might I mean, that's huge. With. I don't agree with that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they should probably leave, Dan. <laughs> that's funny when you were talking about um uh you know the the music is happening there's not necessarily time to talk like maybe if two people aren't getting along you just do like a hippie call and oh that's good (laughs) well they're starting to fight again use that one (laughs) (laughs) call everybody in Um, how do you motivate uh, members in your community group who, um, you know, are beginners and might not be as addicted mm. as others? How do you motivate them to practice? I mean, I think that is every teacher's strife. You know, every teacher wants to know the answer to that mm-hmm. question. How do you make people practice? Um, mm-hmm. The answer is obviously you can't make people practice. But to inspire someone and to try to, you know, encourage them to practice I think, you know, one of the most important things is, again, to just talk with people about, you know, what I say sometimes is that the tighter we sound as a group, 
the more together, the more practiced we are as a group, the more profound effect we're going to have on our audience. And I, I hear a lot of people saying, you know, maybe after a gig, oh, we messed up. Oh, it doesn't matter. The audience doesn't know. You know, they don't know the difference. What do they know? I kind of disagree um, to the extent that I think an audience really can mm. feel it. Even if they're not consciously aware, oh, man, that attack point was definitely not in the right place. Or, man, that break was sloppy. They might not be aware of those specific details, but they can feel when a group is tight and hidden um, together and playing together. So I try to tell my group that, you know, if 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 our goal is to, you know, have an effect on our audience, which I think one of the goals is to do that, then the tighter we are as a group, the greater that effect is going to be. And really the, the only way for that to happen is for individuals to become more prepared and more proficient on their instruments. So, you know, it's honestly the best I could do is to, to talk to people about the importance of practice and what that does to the group as a whole. One of my um, band directors in marching band used to say, you know, we're a group of 40 people. If every single individual went home and practiced for one hour tonight, the next day, the group has practiced for 40 hours. So the group is 40 hours stronger, you know, if every single individual practices for that <laughs> amount of time. So I kind of, I think about that as far as, you know, the group uplifting itself is dependent on the individuals to practice and, you know, hopefully that does a trick, but again, you can't force people to practice and that's definitely a, a problem in it. It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Do you guys have, um, for the community group, like a standard they have to meet before they can parade or is it, it's open to everybody? Um, well, our basic, you know, our goal is to be as open as possible. We want to be inclusive. Um, we're, we're definitely more of the education model, which is inclusion, rather than the professional model, which is exclusion. So we try to be as open as possible. Um, and again, I'm definitely observing while the rehearsals are going, talking with my section leaders, especially leading up to like a parade, um, checking in to see how people are doing. And if somebody is really, you know, not cutting the mustard, then I will talk to that person and say, I mean, the way I approach it is, how are you feeling about your performance? How do you feel about performing with us right now, taking the stage with this group right now? You know, would you feel good about presenting what you, you know, have right now? And if that doesn't do it, then yeah, if, you know, somebody's really mucking it up, you know, and really I think the main thing is if somebody is greatly impacting the group's sound and performance in a negative way, then that person needs to be talked to and, and probably removed from the situation. And hopefully um, enough conversations will go, will happen ahead of time so that a person can be kind of warned, hey, you know, I'm hearing you step over these breaks a lot. It sounds like you don't really know this transition or this groove. Please practice and put your time in. And if you can get yourself ready, then you're welcome to perform. But if not, you know, it's probably best that you don't perform. So that's usually the way it's it's done uh, yeah that's interesting to approach them yeah. like how do you feel about it well, you know i mean and it, it's it's interesting because maybe some people don't care I mean, maybe some people don't care about performing and being sloppy and being unprepared i i care I, you know yeah. when i perform i want to be prepared i don't want to sound good so i'm hoping that people will 
kind of share that same aesthetic and that same value of if they're going to perform something, they want to be ready. I think there's also, when it comes to beginners, there's people who uh, might not even know what how they mm-hmm. sound. You I, know? I totally agree, especially in a setting where everyone is rehearsing in this room and they all have a really loud drum strapped to their bodies. You know, like, what do you sound like individually? Right. You have no idea. If, if the only time you play yeah. is with everyone playing full right. speed ahead, right. you know, how do you know what you sound like? It's impossible. So if that person isn't going home and practicing themselves, the only time they play is with the group during a rehearsal, then you're right. They have no idea how they actually sound. I tell people to um, record themselves and play it back mm-hmm. also, because sometimes you don't know what you sound like until you... I mean, I still do this. I record myself playing whatever that I think I have down. Then I listen to it. I listen to what it's supposed to sound like. Then I listen to myself and I'm like, oh man. (laughs) And then I work on it some more. You know, you you can hear your own mistakes. Well, when you're practicing in the moment, sometimes you can't hear your own mistakes. And then when you play it back, you're like, oh, wow. I just had a woman recently who, who I've been working with for a while and she finally did that. And she was like, I sound way worse than (laughs) I thought I did. Like it was really eye opening for her. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's a really valuable tool if you can get people to do it. Or when they just yeah, play on their again. own, like play this, play this for me without everybody else. That's the true test. A lot of times that that can, but sometimes they can't hear it. It's like a thing. Like, and I've I've noticed that with myself. You know, at a when I was first starting, and you know, even now, I think it sounds a certain way, and then I play it back. I'm like, oh man, it sounds really like the my sound is heavier than I thought it was, or oh, I'm crushing this part, and I didn't realize I was, or you know, like you kind of hear the details that you didn't, you thought you were nailing before. I don't know. I think that's true. I think you know both tactics can be really helpful. I've definitely been in a situation where I had all my you know third surdus, the third surdu section needed to play this part, and it was sounding really sloppy, so. I went down the line, you know, made every single mm-hmm. person play it one after another. And, you know, in that situation, the person and maybe multiple people who were messing it up were like, oh, yeah, I know I'm still working on it, you know, made them kind of admit that they were still working on it. But I think you're right, Courtney. Yeah. I think some people don't have the experience maybe to realize that what they're playing isn't the goal and it isn't what people are expecting them to be playing. I think the recording thing is a great idea. I would love to to incorporate that into my own practicing as well as recommend to people because that, I mean, really that's the only way to really know what you sound like is to listen to yourself. Yeah. And to really know what your sound sounds like because I don't know, it's weird. It's like a weird perception thing. You don't really, you can't necessarily hear it, I guess. I don't know. It's a weird mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I think there's definitely something mm-hmm. to that, definitely. So are you guys, is Samba Floresta? Are you guys playing gigs now? And Yeah, we are. Nice. Um, <clears throat> we recently kind of finished a series of gigs. We were doing a once-a-month gig with um, a local DJ who we had met. Um, and it was actually really kind of fun, really kind of cool uh, experiment that we were trying. Uh, basically, you know, Samba Foresta we would take a set by ourselves and the DJ would take a set by himself and we would come together and play together. So, you know, it was definitely an experimental idea, just kind of like going for it and seeing what happens. But we kind of ended up coming up with some really 
cool sounds that was coming out of this electronic world and this acoustic drum world. And it was really unique. Uh, one of my favorite moments was we were playing, I think, a Samba Hege arrangement. And the DJ started playing these kind of acapella vocal samples from the Beastie Boys. Hmm. He was doing like intergalactic, you know, over a Samba Hege. And it was actually yeah. really sick. <laughs> so our most recent kind of gigs have been this fusion of, of electronic kind of dance rhythms and just electronic ideas with DJing and, and Samba music. And that's been really fun. Um, and Maybe kind of like the Butuki digital kind of things. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. That's some cool stuff that's going on. Yeah. It's definitely a, seems like a kind of new world to enter into. And it's, it's nice to be able to Mm -hmm. um, embrace the kind of DJ world and electronic music um, scene instead of reject it, which Mm -hmm. I've definitely taken that stance a lot in my life is saying, (laughs) nah, man, acoustic drums is the way to go. Electronic (laughs) music sucks. You know, like I want no part of that world. It's all about the drums, about acoustic, but um, it's valid. It's a valid form of musical expression. So to be able to um, really embrace it and incorporate it into our sound has been been really fun. And then uh, our next gig is Fat Tuesday. You know, Mardi Gras coming up in February. So we're preparing for that. That's kind of our next big gig. Cool. Awesome. Is the community group a nonprofit? It is. Yes. Oh, nice. Yeah, we have nonprofit status um, through an organization called uh, Ink People Center for the Arts, which is based out of Eureka, um, right next to Arcata. And so they give nonprofit status, um, and they have these kind of dream maker programs. And a little history about that. um, Jesse Jonathan, who I mentioned earlier as the director for Sambo Moore, he started this nonprofit group through the Ink People called Dance and Drum and Humble. And that's kind of been this umbrella, you know, dream maker nonprofit program that has um, done a lot to give nonprofit status to a lot of different groups in Arcata. We have a um, Trillium Dance Studio is this a ballet kind of group that is under Dance and Drum and Humboldt. And Samba Allegria as well is has this nonprofit status, status from uh, Dance and Drum and Humboldt. Cool. I didn't know he did that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he definitely, he worked with a, a dance teacher, uh, Andalane Roy mm-hmm. at the time. Um, both of them worked together to create this kind of nonprofit status. And they did a lot to to teach, in, you know, Samba music and world music in general to the youth in, in Arcata and their surrounding areas. And the nonprofit status definitely was a very influential thing in this community. That's awesome. I didn't know they did that. Man, you do a lot. Yeah, you do. Do you have a day job besides this? <laughs> yeah. No? Okay. Uh, yes, I do. Um, yeah, I at the moment I am uh, kind of have two jobs. One's a teacher's assistant I'm at a local ele- elementary school. So I'm just in the classroom uh, working with an eighth grade teacher. Um, it's like multi-subject eighth grade class. So I'm, you know, grading mm-hmm. papers and kind of doing that thing, helping in the classroom. Um, but then um, Jesse Jonathan and I both teach music at the school as well. So we teach a few classes at the elementary school, and then we have an after-school music program where we teach steel pan. Oh, cool. So we have a, a few steel pan instruments that we've accumulated. Um, Jesse does a lot of grant writing, um, which is great. He's, you know, we've raised a lot of funds, and we kind of have this store of, 
of steel pan instruments. So we have a steel pan Kanafra school program that we both run. Awesome. And also the other thing I do, um, I perform with the Eureka Symphony, which Eureka is kind of the biggest. I didn't know you did that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's, that'll be number five for rehearsals when that, when that season starts again. Do you have um, free time? Um, you know, right now I'm on winter vacation. So yeah, I got a lot of free time, but it's going to come to an end pretty quick here. Um, but it's, it's actually very interesting to be a part of the Eureka Symphony which is, I mean, in my mind, total opposite world than, than Samba. Yeah. You know, total opposite. But I feel very balanced being a part of the orchestral percussion scene and environment. Um, it feels very good to, to have balance in that way. Um, but doing a lot of Samba, you know, you could definitely lead to burnout if you don't watch yourself. Right. You know? So <laughs> it's nice to have other outlets of music. Um, I used to be in a band and play bass, but that group stopped um, recently, but having other instruments to explore and other styles to study and explore is a good way to kind of avoid that burnout scenario, which I've definitely seen people go through that, you know, doing too much Samba all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's, I think it's important to be able to pace yourself or at least find different outlets. And speaking of which, do you have a uh, guilty pleasure, mu- guilty oh. musical pleasure? You mean performing or listening to, or what, what do you mean? Listening to? Listening to. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I have a few. Which one do I want to share with the, <laughs> the world? Um, I, well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll choose this one. I really like um, classic rock in general, okay. um, and I've always really loved ACDC. Um, and they get a lot of a lot of heat from people, my, some of my close friends, especially towards the drummer who plays, you know, I would say simple patterns on the drum set. But uh, I've always really loved ACDC. I loved them <laughs> since I was like in high school and before. That's definitely, I still jam out to ACDC. Sometimes it's just fun to rock out. That's, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. Neil. Courtney. What has been your happiest moment playing this music? Can you think of a time that you just blissed out? Man. Because I know of one if you don't. <laughs> for, <laughs> for, him. for me. Okay. Yes, for well, I, I still want you to share that. But um, <laughs> it's hard to think of, of a pinnacle. Um, I would say my most recent experience that I had that felt like a blissful experiment experience was uh, at the end of our last parade, North Country Fair parade with the community group. And I mean, these events, I'm sure as you and a lot of other people are aware, require a lot of planning, a lot of rehearsals, a lot of organization. And so being the director, I was very involved with doing a lot of organizing and planning and we were doing this stage show at the end of the parade and singers were up there, guitar player, you know, I had to organize all these people separately and attend their private sectionals. You know, there's so much went into this one song, this one mm-hmm. event at the end of the parade. And I remember we finished the parade. We were there at the stage and the song, you know, was rocking. We were like halfway through it and I just kind of stopped and this awareness dawned on me that like, it worked you know like it's happening all that planning all the organization all those, all those sectionals you know are coming together 
and it's it's actually happening right now and it all paid off you know all that work paid off and you know even more than that i don't really you know i can just kind of sit here and enjoy it right now you know i'm not in a section i'm not in a rehearsal i'm not communicating mm-hmm. with these people and last minute this and that it's happening right now i can just relax and enjoy and be here presently in the moment you know all this organization and planning it's all it's not really in the moment work you're planning for the future you know you're thinking about the future you're wanting that one event in the future to be good but in that moment i was able to be present and kind of you know be here now type of thing just absorb and bask in the achievement of of all that work and it felt really good to just kind of let that wash over me and let especially that achievement through the style of music that that I love you know and hearing that music you know is kind of happened because of the work that I and many other people did but it was like a very a cumulative you know experience like ah it happened you know this is it right now it felt very satisfying mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what was what was yours Courtney <laughs> <laughs> So the first year that uh, Mestre Jonas was at Brazil camp, uh, the first week he was there at the performance, at one point it was going like really well and it everyone was playing really well. And it was just this feeling of joy came over the whole group, I felt like. And you turned around at one point and your look on your face was like, surprise you just had your mouth open and you were like looking back at jocelyn and i because jocelyn and i were kind of in the back next to each other and you were just like this look on your face of just like oh my god (laughs) people were crying and stuff like it was a crazy experience that that week yeah i mean i I gotta say that i think the reason one of the reasons it's so hard for me to pick one specific moment is that every time i i participate and play in this style of music i feel Mm. that joy you know it's the alegria, you know, it's like this this joy for life that we're all experiencing in this group identity, and you know, definitely being at Brazil camp, that's amplified with all these people and, and the teachers, you know, the ministries coming and sharing their knowledge. You know, I have those experiences when I play this music, and it's, I mean, that's what feeds, you know, my love for it, and that's why I'm still doing it after you know the many years I've been playing and directing. It, is, it always makes it worth it, this kind of joy you feel from participating in this music. It, it really, it just uplifts everyone. It uplifts everyone in the room. And yeah. it's the same thing my mentor Eugene used to say about the steel pan and steel band, uh, Calypso music. It, He said, it's impossible to feel sad when you're playing this music. <laughs> you know, and I, I pretty much feel the same when I when I listen to and especially when I perform samba yeah. it's impossible for me to be in a bad mood I mean I it just uplifts my spirit and no matter mm-hmm. what was going on with me earlier that day in my life in general as soon as I put on a drum and I start playing it all washes away and I can be present in that moment and just be uplifted with a group I mean it's it's just I think a very one-of-a-kind ex- experience yeah yeah that's true Especially the way you guys play down there, because you guys play, a, I feel like for a, a small town, so many people, you guys played a really high level and with a lot of energy and a lot of heart. And maybe that's because your group, it, it's, it's definitely varying ages, but you do have a lot of young people and maybe it's like a young group kind of a, I don't know, it's just a lot of energy and heart behind behind your sound. Yeah, it's a good question, like why that is, but I, I definitely agree this, the group in Arcata 
has spirit. You know, they they play from the heart. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, I guess, mm-hmm. one last thing about, you know, the, the emotions we experience or just the feeling that we have when we play this music. I often liken it to a very meditative experience. I think when I'm really in the zone and really, you know, playing the music to the fullest and concentrating and focusing, you know, you're in this flow of the music. There really aren't, mm-hmm. there's not that much room for other thoughts to enter your mind. So the mind has this kind of one track focus on what you're doing in that moment. It's a very present feeling that is kind of the goal of, of a lot of meditation that I've studied and, and heard about. So you're trying to be present in the moment and kind of let the mind, the mind and the thoughts settle. I often experience that sensation when I'm playing music, especially samba and calypso steel pan music. It's this very calming sensation of the mind, and I can let the thoughts go. You know, the thoughts aren't in there anymore. They're not pestering me or bugging me anymore with all the things that they do. I can just really be present. I love that about the music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. As far as oh. gigs go, how about a strange or interesting one? Oh my moment? gosh. Yeah, what's your weirdest gig? Yeah, where to begin? Jeez. <laughs> um, I'm sure you've had many. <laughs> honestly. So some or more used to turn used to tour, um, at least once a year, if not more often. Um, weird things happen on tour, man. <laughs> weird things happen on tour in a lot of different ways, but but definitely the, some of the gigs we take, man, are just bizarre. <laughs> weird settings. I remember one one time we got offered a gig at a zoo um, for some, I don't know if it was an opening or what. I don't know why. I feel like sometimes people invite a samba group and have no idea what they're asking for. They just have no idea what they're getting, you know. But we show up and we're a samba group, maybe 10 people, maybe 12, you know. We're not quiet. And so we, we start playing the set and we're jamming and we kind of are getting through it maybe halfway through. And someone comes up to the director, I think Jesse at the time, and says, you guys need to stop. You guys need to stop right now. You're upsetting the tigers. Please stop. The tigers are angry. What? <laughs> What's the worst case scenario here? The tigers going to break out of the case? And it, was, it was really weird. And then, you know, it, like, you're upsetting the tigers. It was a weird one. <laughs> and there's many more, but I guess that that was a good you're one. Yeah, the tigers. <laughs> yep. Yeah, please stop playing samba. You're upsetting the tigers. That's a good. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. I've never heard that line. Well, is there anything you would like? Um, anything we didn't ask you? Anything you'd like people to know? Hmm. Well, I guess. Um, just a few shout outs to some of the people that kind of started the Samba scene in Arcata. Mm. Um, Samba Alegria, which is a community group, um, uh, has been in Arcata for a very long time. It started in about, um, let's see, I figured it out. It was 1986 was the first parade oh, wow. that that group participated in. And it was a North Country Fair parade. That parade's been going on for, I think it was for a decade or two before Alegria even started. Um, but 1986 was their first parade. And so it's been happening for a very long time under a lot of different directors. Um, one of the first people to really bring Brazilian music to Arcada uh, was a man, David Penulosa. Mm-hmm. And Dr. He, Clave, right? Dr. Clave. That's right. <laughs> yeah. He, 
his kind of main um, inspiration has been from Afro-Cuban music. That's kind of been his main focus. He wrote a book called The Clave Matrix, which um, does a lot of um, really interesting descriptions of clave-based music, in particular Afro-Cuban music, but all clave-based music. Um, so he was really one of the first ones to start the Brazilian music scene in Arcata. So from there, different directors have led that group. So Howard Kaufman led the group for a very long time. Um, Kim Atkinson was another person mm-hmm. kind of in the beginning there with David and Howie that were doing Samba in Arcata. Um, and then Jesse took over after Howie um, in 2007. And then I've been directing the group since 2012. My first parade was in 2013. Just some basic history for that group. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other shout outs? Um, well, as always, Eugene Novotny, just to say him again, he's, he truly has been influential to so many people, you know, including mm-hmm. Howard Kaufman, Jesse, like the leaders that have led before me. You know, he's been incredibly influential. I don't think I can shout out to him enough um, <laughs> in this interview or, or in my life. He's been uh, just a great mentor. Um, I mean, really just everyone who I've played with, I, I really appreciate all the teachers that I've learned from at Brazil camp. Um, Dennis and Rich making that an opportunity has been hugely influ- influential in my life. Um, I really appreciate that experience and the teachers there that I've learned from. I think that's, that's who I've got off the top of my head. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's it's definitely one of those things you kind of build up in your head (laughs) as being more of a big deal than it is just in the way that it's, it seems intimidating, but it's really not that big a deal. We're not that scary. Uh, Yeah. I was not scared at all during this interview. (laughs) (laughs) It's secure. So thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was a great. We should have a safe word, Courtney. (laughs) For our guests. Definitely. No, I really appreciate the opportunity for you to interview me. It was an honor. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. You have a lot of, um, I think you've got a, a calm spirit. So the way you handle things is really interesting. And you've got a great group, like a testament of how like good of a director you are by how well you guys play. Like, I don't think, I think but I do think a lot of people don't know about you guys. Right. They're just like, tiny little town, Arcado, what? What's happening? But I think people don't realize... Uh, yeah, mm. what's happening? I think there? you're right. I think you know we do get a lot of feedback from teachers that come into Arcata and say, "Wow, like this is here. Like you guys are rocking. Like what is happening? Like how did we not know well, about this?" You guys this? are really good. Yeah, it's definitely again the yeah. Arcata bubble, man. We're so isolated mm-hmm. up there. People aren't traveling and experiencing us just by passing through. You know, we have to go out or drop people in to let right. people experience us. So it's definitely Arcata is an, an easy place to kind of hide away from the world <laughs> if you if you want that. Or even if you don't want it, you know, it's it's very isolated. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, maybe, uh, you know, we'll get some new people coming through Arcata as a result of this interview, you know, get some some new yeah. members in the group. That'd be great. At least just, yeah, make it like an early, just make it like a vacation destination to check out. Like, what? what the <laughs> I mean, for that, I highly yeah. recommend Arcata is beautiful. You know, I really recommend 
it's the the redwood coast you know the redwood trees right next to the ocean and the beach it's a very unique environment i highly recommend everyone to come visit it's a beautiful place Thanks for listening. Um, you can find out more about Neil on Facebook, Neil Bost, N-E-I-L-B-O-S-T. Um, we'll also put links up to all of his um, information up there. And you can find his bio on our website, www.thebrazilianbeat.com. Please, if you would like to support our podcast, if you like what you hear, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate us. Give us a uh, star rating and leave a review. That would be really great for us. It helps us get um, get the podcast out to new listeners. Um, you can email us if you have suggestions for guests or ideas for the for the podcast at thebrazilianbeat at gmail.com. You can follow Diana tweeting on Twitter at brazilianbeat1. That's number one. Facebook, The Brazilian Beat Podcast. Um, Diana is also posting on Instagram. And you can hear us. You can um, stream us through our website. An easier way to do it is to have a podcast player on your phone where you download the episodes ahead of time and you can just listen while you like going for a run while you're cleaning your house whatever it's like while you're doing other things it makes it a lot easier than just sitting in front of your computer and listening to it that way i hope you guys all enjoyed the show thanks for listening